So you finally got your job at a prestigious corporate company, but it isn't always what it seems. Perhaps you're not seeing the career progression you wanted to see. Perhaps you're dealing with microaggressions from your colleagues. And perhaps you're feeling alienated with no one in your company that looks like you, talks like you, or thinks like you. In our conversation with the Action for Race Equality team last episode, we briefly talked about the reality of gaining employment as a black man and what it might look like in the workplace. The team are taking steps to prevent discrimination and alienation within the workplace with their inclusive employers toolkit. But still, according to New York-based think tank Cocool, almost half of black professionals in the UK are planning to leave their jobs in the near future, resenting the lack of fairness in their company's management. With the prospects of pursuing traditional careers looking dire to young black professionals, for some black men, success in their career means paving their own pathways. In this episode, I'll be talking to Simeon Quarry, a creative storyteller and entrepreneur who has created a career forged on his own terms. After building a name for himself in the photography industry, where he became Canon's first black ambassador, Simeon is using his creative eye and passion for storytelling to take on the world of training with his company, Vivida. So in this conversation, I want to hear about Simeon's experience carving out a career that is uniquely his own. Welcome to the podcast, Simeon. You've had quite a varied and extensive career. So I, I want to start this by asking you to give us a bit of an introduction to who you are. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what exactly you do? I am a creative at heart. So I'm a, an idea person that I love to bring ideas, you know, to life. I've done that in a number of ways. My career has kind of has pivoted and changed over the years. I started off as a wedding photographer and filmmaker. Actually, a bit before that, I actually was involved in building out a dot-com organization, a dot-com business back in the, in the 1999, back in the day. Then became a wedding photographer and filmmaker when that, there was the, the crash. And gradually, from a creative perspective, I ended up growing what we were doing from working in weddings under my team, Vivida, growing and repositioning that team so that we were doing storytelling and creativity for large organizations. And then now, rather than being a team of creatives that get told by organizations what to create, we now have decided we want to do storytelling and we want to create stories that change the way people see culture. We want to change the way people understand certain subjects. And to do that, we will work with large organizations who have got thousands of employees would maybe be bored by the subject. And the subject might be to do with diversity and inclusion. What's the lived experience like for a, for a Black man or for someone who comes from Black heritage? Another example of a subject might be cybersecurity. How can we bring that subject to life? And then we use all types of forms of creativity to do that, from virtual reality through to creating interactive, immersive escape rooms as well that organizations go through. And your, um, your love for storytelling, where does that come from? Like, is there anything in particular that's initiated that? I think I was, like many, was brought up as in a religious household. And, you know, you naturally get given stories that then start to shape the way you think. Yeah, of course. Rightly, wrongly, just that's down to your own opinion. But we still, we have a appreciation for the power of stories. 
And then when I went through school, I struggled a lot with learning. It was really difficult for me. It didn't resonate because when I was going through school, everything was about copying off the board. It was textbooks. And that formal, that formal way of learning didn't work. But I realized that when things had story in them, when they had creativity, when they were interactive, just in the way some sessions can be when you're working with you know, those in your, in your class, I got it and it mattered. And then that's when I started to realize, you know, there's more to this story thing than the meets the eye. So this love for storytelling, then how does that go from having that passion and drive from a young age and then like navigating that into a career? How would you make that transition? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think that in some ways I stumbled upon it. I always knew that I wanted to do something that was creative. And I was always dreaming and getting involved in the creative industry. But for me, if I'm honest, as a then a young black boy, I thought I wanted to get involved in creating content that would be seen by thousands of people, right? So I was thinking of, do I create something for TV? Do I create images for billboards, advertising? Now we create content for, that gets seen by thousands of people by working with large organizations. But back then, I didn't feel I could go straight into an industry sector like media. Things have progressed a lot now, but back then that was very difficult to do. So I decided to start off in a small industry where I felt I could become recognized for being unique. And one of the unique elements that I chose was storytelling. So, for example, if you think of a wedding photographer or a wedding filmmaker, you think of someone going across to the church or the place of worship and documenting the event. You think of taking the couple into the park and... Yeah. You know, getting them to hold hands with their bouquet of flowers. That didn't really appeal to me. When we started to add in story, what we would do is we'd bring people into our little studio and I would sit down and I would I'd ask them questions about their lives. I would ask them questions about their histories. I would dig into the story and then we would find ways of bringing the story into what we were creating. And as a result, the work that we created became world renowned. So at the time, you know, the work we created ended up in being in magazines. And I got to speak uh, with the Apple in Cupertino. All of this came from looking at an industry that might be normally considered as dull and working out what can I bring that's unique, that's my own personal interest, my own personal core genius, right? And that for me was creative ideas. It was also a willingness to be different. And it was a willingness to, to, be, to do storytelling. Bring that into an industry that's typically maybe dull and boring. And all of a sudden, you become recognized more than anybody else because what you're delivering is different. And so that's where I started to realize that rather than me being different, and I used to look at that as being, I wish I was like everybody else. I wish I fit in. For me, I was the only black kid in school, right? So you go, oh, I wish. But I started to realize that everyone knew my name. And they knew my name because I was different. And so I started to reframe being different as being something that's hugely positive and that can actually be a tool that can be leveraged for good. I want to pick up on the point about being different. So in this current period of time, I don't know how familiar you are with current creators, but there's been a very like high demanding amount of black content creators, especially in the last three years. The rise is literally incredible. You cannot make it up. So my question to you is, when you were starting out your debut, if you will, were there many black 
creatives around? And also, were there any at the time who inspired you if there were? No, not really, when I think about it. In my industry sector that I was involved in, I was, I can't remember another black wedding photographer that I knew that was, that ended up building up a reputation, right? I was the first black ambassador for Canon, became a Canon ambassador. I was the first one that was black. Incredible. Right? So at the time, it was a lot of firsts. You didn't necessarily have those role models, but what I did have is I had role models who were in other industries, right? There were other amazing filmmakers. There were other amazing musicians, sportsmen. So I went into an industry where I was different, but now you're right. What a shift. What a change. And like your experiences of being a photographer, have you always had like the initial support from like those around you from the get-go? I mean, also you, you say you've always like had a passion for being creative, having like a sense of creativity, but like the element of photography, has that also been like part of the process as well? I didn't always want to be a photographer. No, I had a, a great love for the internet. I'm, I'm a mix of technical and creative. And so I used to kind of move from one area to another. I, I would say that when I was involved in the creative side of things, I did get support. And it was partly because when something's based on talent, where you get very, very fortunate is that talent trumps. So if you create something that's unique, that's different, people recognize that and they can't help if you imagine social media. It gets liked, right? It gets engagement. And so that's where we're very, very fortunate that if you can leverage that, it automatically sometimes gets eyes and eyeballs. So I remember I decided to work in Indian weddings, right? And I'm not Indian, I'm a black guy. So at first, of course, you'd walk into a, a, an Indian wedding and people were like the old aunties, right? And the, the parents yeah. would look at you and go, uh, why have you got this black guy? He's not going to know the ceremony. He's not going to know what to do when. He's not going to understand the religious beliefs. But what I did is I had rehearsed, right? I had rehearsed. I had done my research. I had combed the internet. And so I knew that everyone was watching me, right? So, you know, these weddings are big. So they had 400 people. So you have 400 people going, is the black guy going to get it wrong? Is he going to miss the shot because he doesn't know what's happening? And so I realized that having all of those eyeballs on me became really useful because then I was one of the people who then, when I, when I did the right thing at the right time, they were like, he gets it. He knows. How does he know? And then people would be running up to me to talk. And they called me the honorary Indian, for example. The other thing that would happen is, is when I put my work out online, it was so unique and different, partly because of my difference merged with a unique sector that that get got eyeballs and got written about so it was a pattern that has been a partly chosen pathway and pattern that i've decided to use where i can you know as i've got older and, and, and traverse different industry sectors it's almost like a superpower in a sense i can't imagine like the empowerment and like how refreshing it must feel to be able to go into a space and like to literally let's be honest dominate it and then to challenge all the people who thought oh hang on this man knows what he's doing he knows his stuff you know that must be a real real wholesome moment i don't know if wholesome is the right word but like a really fulfilling moment you know it is because i think that you know look we're doing a lot of work at the moment that digs into the negative side of the lived experience that we might have you know yeah. if you're you, if you have black heritage and um, we're doing that with large organizations and and so we have that right we have this 
this background noise, this distraction, this sometimes having to work, we might say twice as hard, right? Because not only do you need to do the job you need to do, but you also need to make sure that you seem to have the credibility in a particular area, right? So we have that. So when you find that element of superpower and you feel like that you get that moment of a little bit of validation, it becomes really, really useful, really important. I mean, I think for me, it was important. You're going a little bit personal here. Having a, you know, a heritage that's West Indian um, and my parents were very, were quite strict with me because his, my, my dad and mum, their parents were really, really strict with them. And so when I wasn't great at school, naturally that resulted in, it was vocal, right? You're not doing well, Simeon. You're underperforming. And you can imagine, you know, Get on, yeah. do, you know, get on with your schoolwork. You need to do your times tables for X number of hours. Like it was hard. It was like a boot camp at times because I was underperforming, but it's because school didn't work for me the way I needed it to work. So I struggled, like many young people do, to get the validation that maybe they want from their parents. Sometimes it's just because the culture and the way of upbringing, that vocal arm around the shoulders go, yeah, you got this, son, may not naturally always be there. So I managed to get that from work. So I ended up really leaning into that, trying to get people to go, look, I mean, same way I would go to my, my parents and go, look what I've done, look what I've done. And it might have been six out of 10 and I'm happy, but my family's like, no, that's not good enough. And eventually that becomes a drawing. And it was like, look what I've done to this drawing. Look at this creative piece. And my parents are like, very good, but you need to be focusing on those core skills, you know, the maths, the sciences, the Englishes. So then when I started to get that from work, it was that warm, wholesome validation you spoke about that I really needed that fed the soul. Yeah. Also became a bit of an issue, right? Because I have to recognize that that also can be a weakness. My need for that validation can mean that what I do is I over deliver because I need that. I want that pat on the back to go, well done. Look what you've done. Look how good that is. And so I have to look at my own psychology that I had as a child and then growing up understand where it's a strength, but also understand when it could be used as a weakness. So you mentioned about your upbringing and how your parents would be strict at times due to certain circumstances. I completely relate. I'm I'm from a Caribbean family and um, my parents are the kindest people ever. But when it comes to messing up with school... You don't want to know. It's not pretty. (laughs) That's rooted from my grandparents and that's back from the Caribbean where they're like, even like unimaginable, I can't even imagine what my parents had to do, had to go through. But you can imagine, you can imagine why, right? Because it's the, the people, pressure. It's, it's the, the pressure pr- of having to like navigate and to like you have to. What is it they say for black people? You have to work ten times harder to be seen and heard in the same room. So I think a lot of it can be rooted in like we're not doing this for like to be horrible. It's more like we need you to work harder and we need you to perform harder so that you can be as respected and as and seen as much as your counterparts. You're 100% right. You're 100% right. And in some ways, you know, that drive, that what happened to me as a young kid and the extra strictness, look what it did. It did create that momentum and that drive that my parents were needing to create. It did fuel me. And so I, I think that's really interesting for me to, to recognize. And now being that bit older, I can now reflect, I can look down on what happened in life and understand the purpose 
And for those that listen, they're listening here, you know, I think it's always good to try to do that, you know, to dig that layer deeper and understand that there's a huge power that comes as well, that that spark that's been ignited by family, by parents, the attitudes that have been created. Often, sometimes it might be seen as a negative, but it's this hugely effective tool to often provide us the drive and the motivation that we need to go on and succeed. So when it when it became, let's say, apparently clear that this was the route that you were going to be taking for the foreseeable, did you always have that support system from your folks then? And I guess those friends around you, and like, has that differed? Has that initial that reaction and response differed to what it's like now? You're going personal here. Um, I would say, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Right. And and so the more interesting one here is probably to dig into the no. Being brought up in a religious family, striving to set goals that were related to career, related to what might be perceived as material possessions and affluence. From where I come from, with my culture, background, and also religiously, that was also looked down on. So I found myself not setting certain goals for the future. I found myself making money, but essentially giving it away so I don't have much money because I felt this guilt associated to having money, if you see what I mean. So in some ways, what I've had to do is I've had to grow up and become independent, right? And, and go, right, do you know something? I've got my, I have my beliefs that come from my background, my culture, my parents, my religious upbringing. And they, these things have meant that I've got these principles that I'll never turn my back on. At the same time, I'm in a different generation. And so I have to have my principles that I believe in that I now pass on to my young children. And so I'm not looking for validation and that much support from others. I need to be able to dig from inside to be able to become self-sufficient in some ways. And I think that that's, what I, that's the journey that I've, been, that I've been working on. You spoke about being um, working with Apple and being an ambassador for Canon. How did you like build these um, relationships? How did they like come together, come to mind? So the way that he's getting getting to work with these amazing organisations, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, Canon, SanDisk, Apple, etc., and then speaking and doing, you know, talking around the world, is because I embraced my core genius i had to try my best to recognize it because at first i didn't partly because you have this sense of humility that is really important to how we are right as human beings you need that humility the challenge can be you become so humble that you don't recognize where you're actually really good and i still struggle with that but what happened was is as i was sharing things on social media i was also really happy to tell people how i did things so we create and rather than keeping it to myself, I'll go, hey, this is what we've just done. But this is the process that we followed to get there. And so as a result, the industry, those that were trying to do the same type of thing, ended up following and watching. Because it was almost this, leave no one behind. There's enough there for everybody. So I've just learned this. And this has been great. And I would go and I would share it. And as a result, I managed to build a, you know, a really supportive network that, that grew. And then those value sets that you have they end up aligning with the value sets of organizations. And so they come knocking. 
you don't expect it. Uh, for me, when Canon came knocking, I remember the day, actually. First, it was an email to say, can I come round to the studio? Yes. Then they came round. Sav came round. And she sat down in the studio. And I was like, you know, how, how are you even here? I use Canon cameras, but how are you here? He said, let me tell you, every Tuesday and Thursday, you drop a new video of Vivida's work, and you drop some new photography of what you've just done. And every Thursday in Canon, people log on and they start to share internally. Have you seen the video? Have you seen the video? And we love it every Thursday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. And so what we would love to do, Simeon, is we would love to see if you want any support in the background. You know, are there any cameras you want to try? And then gradually the relationship grew so that I was getting the cameras before they were even launched to test. And then it was, we would love you to become official Canon ambassador. Then it was, Simeon, we would like you to launch this particular camera. Please, can we send you to Kenya to record the Maasai Warriors? And we would love to, you know, document you using the camera and then take the results and use those on posters. And it grows. Now I don't do photography in the same way. But the way we now work with brands is that I have a core internal value of what's important, a mission. And I think this is something that the audience, I'd love the audience to take away. Set a mission for yourself, something that you feel is personally really important. So for me right now is how can I change people's attitudes towards learning and education? Because for me, I didn't like it. Why? Because it wasn't engaging, it was boring, and it didn't have story. So I'm on a mission to change that by doing education the way that Simeon, your little Sim, would have liked it. I'm on a journey also to change the way people experience the workplace by helping to remove racism, discrimination, and prejudice in the workplace. Now, when you set a mission, you find that you're not the only one on that mission. And so people gravitate towards you where they say, hey, I see your mission. What help do you want? What support do you need? And before you realize it, you end up building this network of like-minded people that are either in need of the change that you want to evoke or they want to help on the same journey as you. I think it's really powerful how you've been able to start this. It's all initiated from a, an amazing passion, which has like created a career, which I think is very rare for a lot of people to say. And then to be able to push that even further and navigate into further passions and interests, which are going to because I think as creatives, we all want to be able to put ourselves in positions where we can help others and provide support systems, which we wish we could have had in our younger years. Do you know what I mean? And to be able to then put yourself in that position, to be able to help those who didn't have what you needed slash wanted is truly like, that's powerful. That's, that's something different. You can make that up, can you? You've articulated that really well. You've articulated that really well. That's exactly it. And do you know... One of the things you said, which is, you know, I was really fortunate because I kind of I managed to do that from the beginning. Yes. Remember, though, also weddings for me wasn't where I wanted to be. Right. Because the industry was boring. Right. Uh, you'd think no one no one's going to notice a, a black wedding photographer from a part of England. Right. There's just no there's no reason for it. But do you know what I then realized is that it was an opportunity. And so. Uh, if you work within a, a, a large organization and you feel like you're a tadpole, right, rather than a big fish, if you have that core mission, if you have that core value and you start to look for, okay, where, where, what is it that I've got in me that's slightly unique? Like I know I come up with ideas really quickly, right? If you can dig into that, 
you will actually find that a pathway starts to align. It starts to appear. And you can then start to shape that career path in a way that resonates with you and links in with your core purpose and value. But you need to kind of do that little bit of self-reflecting first and turn that environment that you're in that you don't love, you almost gamify it for yourself so that it provides you that dopamine and endorphin hit when you need it because you gamified the process. You made that working environment a place that you can love. Moving on, I would love to talk about your um, your baby, Vivida. So can you tell me a bit more about the company itself and the specifics that you do? Sure. So we are a team of right now, we're just about probably up 12, 13 people internally. We have a team members that come in and collaborate on these awesome projects. We work on really exciting projects. So we mentioned that one of the subjects we're really passionate about is kind of removing prejudice and discrimination that happens in the organization, starting off with, you know, those that have the black heritage background like you and I. One of the ways that we did this is we created a VR experience where we can have someone put on a VR headset and all of a sudden you look down at your body and the hands and you, you if you're a white person or Asian or from a different background, you see, oh, I've got my body. I'm a black person. You've become Josiah and you're in his home. And now you can hear his thoughts and you're having a conversation with mum and dad and family members and friends about, you know, about the future and your dreams and aspirations. And the aim of that project was to change people's perceptions by allowing you to get in the shoes of someone that you wouldn't normally be able to do that with, right? And so now what we've done, whilst we've done it with virtuality, we're also doing that with things like um, we've created an amazing online interactive escape room which takes people through that narrative of understanding. It makes people curious. But what we've done is we've, we create an avatar, 3D graphics, animation, voiceovers, actors, and we put together this fully interactive story that team members from organizations go through and navigate through. We've just launched, at the time of our recording now, internally for HSBC two days ago, uh, In Their Shoes, Josiah, where we created for HSBC and in collaboration with them, a 3D interactive immersive experience that puts you in the body of a young black person that wants to make it in the organization. And we really, we leaned into, we, we gathered the life experiences and the difficulties that individuals within the organization had had outside of the organization before they joined. But also we were really brave and looking at the difficulties they had in the organization and then the aim is, is that what's happening right now is thousands of people will be starting to explore and to understand what it's like to be you, to be I, to be the other, so that they can then shift those perceptions. For Sky, we just created an interactive computer game on cybersecurity, right? So normally you think of in organizations, they have to learn about cybersecurity. How do you keep yourself safe by not clicking on the right links, by not doing the wrong things? Really boring stuff. But what we did is we created a PlayStation style game where you control the character, literally keyboard and mouse, running around 3D offices, jumping over desks, finding the computers are unlocked, doing puzzles and challenges. Again, delivering education the way that little Simeon, the little version of me, would have loved to have had it when I was young. And for those who like want to get into like entrepreneurship like yourself, obviously you're established now. You've made a space. How have you found like the founding and like the growing of like Vivada? How's it been for you? So the reality is it's been tough, right? Being an entrepreneur, 
is difficult. It's really not easy, and don't underestimate it. I think the great thing we've had with Avida is, is that I had a core mission, and the mission is the most important thing. And so as you go through all the hardships and the difficulties, you end up going, it's worth it. So for those of you that have children, you love your child, but they bring you heartache. At times, it's really difficult, right? But because they're your child, the love for your young child, your young person, trumps everything. And so when you align what you do with a really core value, with a core passion, and you then decide to be an entrepreneur on top of that, then as you go through any difficulties, you go, ah, doesn't matter. It's fine. It's worth it. Right. And so the journey hasn't been easy. One, yes, because as a, you know, a black entrepreneur, that journey has been more difficult and it is more difficult. So you push and you fight through, but it's still worth it because there's massive value that we can deliver. But I love working on my own terms. I love being able to come up with an idea and having a wonderful team that we've got of individuals that have got the same passion that want to bring the vision to life. There's there's nothing else like it. And what I would say is, is that we're in a really unique time now that in the last three years, as you mentioned, the soil is more fertile than it's been before, right? Companies have recognized that their supply chain isn't as diverse as it needs to be. So when they choose suppliers, they're at least thinking, ah, oh, actually, all of our suppliers may not, there may not be any black people involved in it. There may not be any color there, right? And so they're needing to work out how do they improve, include lives of color, right? So there's a great opportunity that we have to understand the export that we have, the value that we have, and recognize that the time is now. It's never been better. I feel, than what it is right now. There's a great opportunity for us and we need to embrace it. I want to finish on this one point. I think what you've created and what you continue to create is really admirable for a lot of young black boys and men who want to get into similar spaces. So like, what like advice and guidance would you give to black men and boys who want to get into non-traditional routes like yourself and take on like a career like that is as unique as yours? What would you advise? If it's creative, work on your craft. The brilliant thing about creativity and talent is there is no limit. And it's also something that's within your direct capability to grow. So I practiced my craft. I worked on it. I honed it, right? Serena Williams going on the tennis court. She didn't just turn up on the court and play. She practiced and she practiced when no one was looking. She practiced with a coach. She put in hours. So put in that time to your craft to make sure that you are excellent. The other thing that you should do, which I didn't do, and I still struggle with, and I wish that I could tell the younger version of myself to overcome this obstacle, ask for help, right? Is there someone that you could reach out to and go, hey, would you mind just jumping on the court? I'd love to get some advice. Would you mentor me? You're ahead of me. Would you mentor me? Would you just jump on a call once a month, every two months? Every person that asks out of me, I say yes, right? And so why didn't I do that? And don't be afraid of the rejection. Often that's the fears. You might ask and they might go, no, that's fine. That skill set of accepting rejection is really key, right? But ask for help. And, you know, I started particularly through COVID. 
when Vivida had to pivot and change because we were doing virtual reality and all of a sudden, no companies wanted to put VR headsets on because they didn't want, no one was in the offices and they couldn't cross-contaminate by having one headset go on 50 people. And I was panicking, thinking my business is going to fold within six months. I had to come up with a new idea. So I came up with a new idea and I wanted to check my idea was correct and I wanted to build on the idea. So for one, I had the courage to reach out to people on LinkedIn, people that didn't look like me, just people in organizations that were perhaps the people I want to sell to in the future. And I typed them and I said, would you mind, please, just taking 15 minutes, half an hour of your time just to chat with me? I've got an idea and I really value your opinion to see if I'm on the right track because you're in this industry, you're living in it. And I really respect, I'd respect your viewpoint. You know, every single person said yes. And they were from billion dollar organizations, right? And they said yes. And so what would have happened if I had started that earlier? More people want to help than you think. And I'm not talking about people that are in your own culture, right? I'm actually talking people outside as well. So that's a couple of points I would mention. I want to say from me to you and from my producer, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. We appreciate how busy you must be. I think what you've created is truly like I said already, remarkable and admirable. And I think you've paved a very uh, pivotal pathway uh, for black young boys and black men. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing because, you know, this is really key. Again, you're doing similar to me. What would have I loved when I was younger? And so now you're young yourself, but you're thinking like, what would I have loved to have listened to just a few years ago, right at those formative moments? So please, yeah, keep doing the work that you're doing because it's really important. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure hearing Simeon's journey of finding his creative voice, purpose and career. I was particularly interested to hear how his West Indian culture and religious upbringing shaped the storyteller, creative and entrepreneur he is today. And as someone from a Caribbean background, I can relate to the pressures and expectations that are placed on us from a young age. While there are a lot more black figures forging non-traditional paths in today's day, the lessons of resilience, hard work and purpose as some that we can all learn from Simeon, whether we are climbing the corporate ladder or doing it on our own. And while there is much more to do to ensure that employment opportunities for young black men are improved, it gives me comfort to know that initiatives exist and there is more awareness around the experiences of black men and people in the workplace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mangrove. To make sure you don't miss out, follow or subscribe to Mangrove wherever you are listening. And if you can, please share, leave a rating and a review as it helps people find us. Mangrove is brought to you by Lives of Colour. It's hosted by George Halewood and produced by Tyra at Foss Creative Studio.